Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. The convention committee asked me to share tonight. It's indeed a privilege and an honor. It's one of the things beyond my wildest dreams to share in a convention. Uh, I want to thank our co-founder, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson, for this beautiful, life-giving, life-saving fellowship. And I also want to extend a warm welcome to our friend who's doing an AA meeting for the first time. Remember, we all had our first days in Alcoholics Anonymous. You are lucky you came in in a bit of a good condition, yeah? When I, when I came into AA, I was virtually crawling because I was 99.9% insane. So why I tell you this, I'm going to offer you the hope that was offered to me. There are no hopeless cases here. There's hope for each and every one of us to remain sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, provided we do what is asked of us. We try and live the 12-step program to the best of our ability, practice the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you too, one day, if you don't drink and don't die, you can be 49 years sober. <laughs> so... This is, a, this is a place of hope. And the acronym for hope is help one person every day. And also in AA, we talk about hearing other people's experiences. That is why I'm still here, by listening to people and coming to meetings regularly, trying to live the program to the best of my ability. You know, I always say this when I share, if you read a recipe book, you can't get full. You need to do what's there. Get the ingredients follow the steps, you'll enjoy the end product. Likewise, in Alcoholics Anonymous, you can't read the 12-step program and say you did the steps. You need to live the steps. We are not saints, fair enough, but we must try and grow our spiritual lines. I read somewhere, if you want to become a saint, you mustn't talk lies for 14 years. You can become a saint. So we are, we are far from that, but the key, the key in Alcoholics Anonymous, the key to Success in A to sobriety is the word honesty. We need to be honest and thorough from the very start. Our chapter 5 tells us, that was read here, how the program works, H-O-W. The H is for honesty, as well as helping others, as well as for humility. The O stands for open-mindedness, listen with an open mind to what's being read and said here. Don't be judgmental, don't be critical of what's being said in the front here. And the W stands for willingness. Willingness to learn, willingness to listen, and a willingness to serve in Alcoholics Anonymous when one is asked to do so. So I learned in my early days in AA that service in AA will keep me happily sober and committed to Alcoholics Anonymous. And today I can boldly tell you that I am a full-time member of AA. I'm not a part-time member. I'm a full-time member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I owe my life to Alcoholics Anonymous. Today I have to stay sober because my life depends on it. Those days when I was drinking, you know what the guys when I was, whom I was drinking with, when I told them I'd stop drinking for a few months, they told me, you stop drinking for a few months, we want to see how long. That's how bad I was. You know, on the outside you'll get the bad advice, if you drink, you're going to die, if you don't drink, you still die, so, so why die? In my case, and there was, there was a person that was so afraid to die or so afraid of death, because he thought in his mind, if he's dead, how he's going to drink? This is the power of alcohol. 
They talk about alcohol being cunning, baffling, and powerful. And how true it is. Alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. I will drink, I will get sick like a dog. The next day, I will look for the same alcohol that made me sick to make me better and then drink again. And you see, this vicious cycle will continue. But A tells me, the new man here tonight, stay sober just for today. If you can visualize the just for today slogan, you will see the last three alphabets of just for today is T-R-Y. Try. Stay sober just for today. The longest unit of sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous is 24 hours. Nobody came to Alcoholics Anonymous because things were good. I have yet to see somebody came to A because things were good. We all come here because things were bad. Things were bad. I learned earlier that alcoholism is a disease, it's progressive, it's incurable, and it can be fatal. If you know your arithmetic, I'm sure, I think all of us went to school, yeah? Alcohol will add to your misery, it will divide you from your family, and if you continue drinking, it will suffect you from this earth. That's how it is. And this is a disease of denial with a capital D. I was also in denial. I thought I just drank too much. My conception of an alcoholic was a hobo on the park bench, so-called hobo on the park bench. You know, long hair, unshaven, beard, three-quarter coat, alcohol wrapped in the newspaper and he's sipping from the newspaper on the park bench. I was no different. But that guy on the park bench, he wasn't born there. Alcohol took him to the park bench. That is where I would have ended up had I not come into Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't come to AA on my own. I know that today. And to my new friend again, once again, before I forget, you are not here tonight by chance or coincidence. You are here through a divine intervention. So in Alcoholics Anonymous, when we talk about a higher power, we talk about a higher power that you believe in. If you don't believe in God, believe in something at least. And later on, as you keep coming here, you will realize there is an higher power. And the new man, new man again, you know, you must ask yourself, for those who are fairly new as well, if you choose to stay sober, what will you lose? You can't lose anything if you stay sober. But if you go back and drink, you've got everything to lose. God in his wisdom, in his mercy, and in his divine grace, which is more than sufficient for all of us, brought us to Alcoholics Anonymous. God saw us suffering. Unfortunately, an alcoholic is the last person to know he's got a problem. If somebody tells you, do something about your drinking, do something about it. An alcoholic, you know, you can compare him to a boxer in a ring that's fighting, getting battered and getting bruised. His nose is bleeding, his lips is cut, his eyes is bust on the corner there and he wants to continue boxing, just like an alcoholic. Drinking, he wants to continue drinking, he can't see what alcohol is doing to him. And for the, in order for the boxer to stop, the trainer who sits in the corner throws in the towel for the boxer. The trainer can see what the boxer is going through. Likewise with us alcoholics, we can't see it. So if somebody tells you, do something about your drinking, do something about it. They don't want to see you suffer. That's why they tell us that. Sadly, this disease, you know, we affect the people that are nearest and dearest to us. And in my instance, I hurt my dear mum. Incidentally, last month, February 5th, she turned 88. I'm living with my mum. I know normally mums live with the sons. <laughs> I'm living, I am living in her house. And that's the mother that took care of me for so long, you'll hear just now, that I stopped talking to her for 20 years staying in the same house. This is the power of alcohol. I didn't want to do it. I love my mother. 
This is the power of Ruth. Don't underestimate the power of alcohol. When they talk about cunning, baffling, and powerful, believe it. And the trust program of recovery will teach us how to live just for today. One day at a time. Don't worry about yesterday. Yesterday is history. It's gone. You're not going to get it again. Tomorrow is a mystery. We don't know what's going to happen. Let God worry about tomorrow. Stay sober just for today. Today is a victory. And this, there's a lot of paradoxes in Alcoholics Anonymous. One of them is you have to surrender to gain victory. In a war, if you fight, you surrender, you lose the battle. Yeah, we surrendered the bottle to gain victory over it. All these things I'm telling you now, I learned in AA. My education didn't tell me all these things. Couldn't help me. This is my college of knowledge. And I hope from my mess of the past, I will be able to pass a message of hope here. That's why I'm here tonight. And I'd like to share for four reasons what Dr. Bob says. First of all, it is a pleasure. Two, it is a sense of duty. Three, every time I share, I take a little bit more insurance against a possible slip. And four, every time I share, I'm paying, paying tribute to the person who shared here before me. And listen, to my new friend, as well as those who are failing you, I learned early in my recovery, there's a difference between listening and hearing. When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous on the 4th of July, 1997, my first meeting, I came to the door, I was hearing what was being read and said, I wasn't listening. And because I wasn't listening, I nearly paid with my life. That's how serious this program is. I didn't take it seriously. There are a lot of, lot of things that were said here at the podium and I'm sitting in the audience there. I wasn't listening. I was just hearing. I'm thinking of my brother who drinks whiskey. How come he's got no problem? I'm sitting here in his meeting. <laughs> and I came initially because my mom saw I had a problem with alcohol. I came to AA to please my mother. So I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And after four and a months of being sober in AA, after hearing and not listening, speaker after speaker came on the podium, don't take that first drink, engage a higher power, keep away from the drinking friends, the bar, pray, ask God to help you, attend the AA meeting, which I did. But I wasn't listening. And AA guarantees me, after having a period of sobriety, and I go and pick up a drink, worse things will happen. Not may happen, might happen, could happen, or should happen. Now what gave people authority in the front to say it will happen? Because they were talking from their own personal experiences. That's why I say today, experience is our greatest teacher. That is why I come to listen in Alcoholics Anonymous. No more to hear, I come to, look, to listen now. And just to give you a little bit of rundown, you know, I only drank for 27 years. Money is by 365, we'll get the correct figure. <laughs> and so, alcohol was no stranger in my home. My dad drank, and I drank with my dad as well. Later on, I, I drank his drink too, because he was a very small drinker. <laughs> I was doing my dad a favor. <laughs> But be that as it may, my dad, you know, he drank for a number of years. I haven't, I haven't seen him drunk on a single occasion. He was a social drinker. Me, on the other hand, how I became an alcoholic, well, that's neither here nor there. I'm here now. <laughs> that, that is the most important thing. That is the most important thing. Alcohol robbed me of my education. It robbed me of my job. My dad, who had a business for 44 years, I ran that business down the ground in four and a half months' time through my drinking. And I finished up like a hobo. You know, I talk about the hobo in the park bench. I was a hobo in my own home. The only difference between me and the guy in the park bench, I fell from the sofa, from the couch, onto the carpet. That guy fell from the bench, onto the ground. That was the only difference. Today I learned in AA, it's not important what I drank, how much I drank, with whom I drank, is what happened after I drank. Whether you drank whiskey or juba, whether you drank with the Lord Mayor of London, that's not important. It's what it does to us. So today, on page 30, I think it says in the big book, we had to first concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholic, 
This is the first step in recovery. So it must come from deep within your soul, you are an alcoholic. You can't be sitting on the fence. You know a Chinese program, if you visualize the fence, two dogs will bite you, one from this side, one from that side. <laughs> so today I need to accept my condition, and with all due respect to ladies here, you ever heard of a lady who is half pregnant? You are either pregnant or not. So likewise, likewise with an alcoholic, you are either alcoholic or not. So once you accept your condition, recovery can begin. And on page 82 of the book it says, I think that, the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, affections have been uprooted, sweet relationships are dead, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. That's a very apt description of an alcoholic. That was me. I never had my wife, I'm a bachelor. I could have if I had a wife. I, by hearing stories and alcoholics anonymous. But that's not the issue here. The thing what I want to tell, I want to tell the, the, the newer guy here, I'm going to offer you my friendship after this meeting. I'm even going to give you my cell number because I love to work with newcomers, whether it's telephonically or one-on-one. -on -one. Because AA tells me my primary purpose is to stay sober and carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. That is my primary purpose. Now, as I said, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, 4th of June, 1997, 4th of July, 1997, stayed sober for four and a half months, went and picked up a drink, and the next ten and a half months of my life I want to talk about now. That was the worst period of my life, which I won't wish on my worst enemy if I have any here. Things get bad. I was hospitalized nine times now through my drinking. I was a victim for pickpockets. I don't know if you'll have them in PE. We have them in Durban. <laughs> victim for pickpockets. And, uh, you know, just on a light note, I used to carry a wallet in my top pocket. People carry a wallet in the back pocket. With only papers stuffed in there, no money, because I'm not working. And, and when I go and sit in the shipping, when the guys buy me around, I said, I'll pay. I said, hey, I'm just hoping the guys didn't really tell me to pay. I had no money. <laughs> you see? That's how cunning alcohol is. That's the state I reach. That's the state I reach now through alcohol. And uh, as I said, the next ten and a half months, the worst. I started to suffer what he called the DTs. Those of you who don't know, the delirium tremens. Delirium, when you're going off your head, tremens, you're getting the shivers and the shakes. And it's so real, you see things that are not there. I think Butch mentioned once, the DT, the nurse told him it stands for dying time. <laughs> you see? That's what it would have been if I continued to drink. And these delirium tremens were so bad. You know, I could see things. I saw a devil with a fork, fork tail and a horn following me. You know, things like that. I seen things. I ran away from home, saw my house on fire with my pajama. And I finished up in the Beach Point area, Point Road area in Durban, some 22 kilometers away from home, bare feet. <laughs> See what alcohol can do if you don't listen? This is what happened. Then I got stabbed in my arm, I didn't know I got stabbed. I went to hospital about a week later, they nearly told me they would have amputated my hand if I came a bit late. Somebody stabbed me with a rusty knife and gangrene was about to set in. That didn't teach me a lesson. And then the worst straw came for me. But I was 14 stitches in my throat here. I was standing in our worry cabinet triangle area in Devon and a pickpocket come by me and reckon he wants my drink. I got another packet for the house, some household stuff. That particular Friday I didn't sell it. Normally I sell the household goods by the railway station and buy more drinks. <laughs> so this day all he had a bottle with me and the guy reckon he wants the bottle. I said, no, 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 you take the other packet. I'm an alcoholic, I'm not going to get a bottle. <laughs> this guy, this guy tells me he cut my throat. I thought he was joking. <laughs> it was quite bright. Quite bright, December period, quite bright. And the guy put a knife to my throat. And when he put a knife to my throat, I pulled a knife out and I cut myself. And when I cut myself, the blood started to shoot out. 
And when the blood started to shoot that the guy want to rob me, he got more frightened than me here anyway. <laughs> and I'm hoping and praying in my mind, oh God, hope this bottle don't bust. Can you believe the insanity of alcohol? My life is at stake, I'm worried about the bottle. Today we can laugh about it, at that point in time it was serious. But nevertheless, you see, God works through people. He doesn't come here on a shiny horse and a golden chariot and say, you and you and you must come to a. He works through people. So I told you earlier on, somebody tells you something wrong with your drinking, do something about it. And God worked through my late sponsor, Taylor, and he brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous. On the 13th of September, 1998, I was taken to Bill's room. But prior to going to that meeting, I was sitting in the lounge and on the radio ahead, my brother was stayed nearby, murdered his three children. So I told my mom, but now we were in talking terms, I told my mom, you know what, I can't go for the meeting, I'll go for the funeral. And she asked me whose funeral, I called over the radio in the lounge. The radio was off, so the DT's got me again. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, I was taken to Bill's room, just to cut a long story short, now time is going. I was taken to Bill's room and while I was sitting in the meeting, I saw somebody coming to stab me with a knife. I ran out of the room, they pushed me back into the Bill's room rehab center and I began to chant in the meeting. And while I was chanting, the people in the meeting began to cry because of the condition I was in. It was told to me later, I was one of the worst cases to come into Alcoholics Anonymous. If I can stay sober, anybody can stay sober. So that day, they had to hospitalize me again, couldn't admit me as a patient, stayed in Addington Hospital. DT hit me again there, I saw heads and bodies falling from the sky and things like that. And... But I was dismissed on the 17th of September 1998 and this time around when I came back into Alcoholics Anonymous, I put my both feet into Alcoholics Anonymous. This time around I tried to, I, I accept the teachings of Alcoholics Anonymous because it works. This time around I mustn't act too clever now. I must accept what's being said here. This time around I asked the higher power to help me and I'm enjoying sobriety now. If you've got time to pray, God got time to listen. Now I'm talking to my mom, we are the best of friends, I've accepted my condition. Incidentally, for those of you who read the big book thoroughly, I had somebody this morning say I read the big book in one day. God is mentioned 322 times in the big book. So God is central to Alcoholics Anonymous. So today that's what I do. I can do some chores now, things like that. And I'm a happy alcoholic because I have both feet in AA. Both feet in AA, I can't fall. If you have one feet in AA and one in the shibin, you're going to fall. The distance is far apart. So I stuck around it easy. T today I learned to look for a reason to stay sober. I must not look for an excuse to pick up a drink. I know where the drink is going to take me. Now I'll just give you a quick analogy before I finish. You take a so-called mad person and an alcoholic. You know who's cleverer? Who's cleverer? The mad guy. Why? Say the candle is burning, that's alcohol. You tell the mad guy, put his finger, he'll put his finger, he'll get burnt. The second time you tell him, put his finger, he won't put his finger. The mad person, because he got burnt. You tell the alcoholic, put your finger there, he'll put his finger, he'll get burnt. The second time you tell, tell him, put his finger, he'll put his finger again. This time you think he won't get burnt. Too clever. That's our problem. Too clever for our own good. So once you accept your condition, recovery can begin. And you know, we speak about the team, unity, the heartbeat of Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned here now. United we stand, divided will fall, alone will perish. You need me as much as I need you. Together we need a higher power and we can stay happily sober. This program has saved my life and one of the ways of saying thank you to AA is by coming to AA meeting and trying to pass a message of hope. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Change you must. Yeah. I'm actually reminded by the story that I once said when I came into the fellowship for the first time. A story of an alcoholic that was stuck in the home. As I was stuck in this home, various people from different walks of life and also different careers came off the street. 
I remember that one of those people was a psychiatrist who offered pills for the alcoholic, but still the alcoholic was stuck in the home. A psychiatrist, a psychologist also came by. She only promised to spare two hours of her time with the alcoholic. She started asking him questions like, tell me more about yourself. Were you born here? Did your parents live you here? Then after the two hours, she departed, but still the alcoholic was left in the home. One of the guys that came in was a businessman, a very rich guy. And when he heard this alcoholic crying out for help, he went there. And then he threw a step of money and told him that, son, I don't know how you're going to do this, but please find a way and buy yourself a ladder so you can get out of this home. One of the members who came through was a member who is part of a religious institution. When he came by, he offered his literature to the alcoholic and he said, I was told that this book contains all the answers of life. So if you read this book, it will set you free. But before he departed, he asked him to say a little prayer and he started praying. But as he left, still the alcoholic was stuck in that home. For the fifth time when he wrote it for help, an alcoholic had recovered, heard his cry. And when he got there, he immediately jumped into the hole and said, I don't know how we're going to get out of this place, but all I can tell you is I have been here. And we together will find the way of getting out of this place. And for me, I say this because I know that I, it would have been possible for me to stand here today if it wasn't for the help that was reached out for me by the members of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've tried quite a couple of times to say so on my own, but it did not work. So for myself, it implements the true meaning of what unity is. I also give great gratitude to people of East London who were able to welcome me when I came to my first meeting. My gratitude does not only go to the people who are still alive today. There are some who have deceased who are old timers of people who have opened the rooms for me at the time when I came to. And even today I still think about it that most probably if those people were never given support by those old timers, they wouldn't have been there to open the meetings for me. I also send great gratitude to newcomers. I mention this because one of the reasons why I keep coming back to meetings is to offer what was given to me. I always want to be responsible for the hand of AA. You know, there's um, a video clip that I like to watch by Father Martin. It describes insanity. As, as when an alcoholic is totally sober, physically sober, and then they decide to take that first drink. But for me, it was not only the case. I have all the insanities that follow them that was caused by alcohol. But coming back to change again, if I mention something about change, it brings great uncomfortability to me because it was a process that I could not endure. 
For myself, I know that in meetings we usually describe people that we used to drink with as only drinking friends. But for myself, the case was different because around those people, around those spaces, I did have comfort. I was surrounded by people who never questioned my physical being, who never even questioned my sexual orientation, but they accepted me for who I was. I was then also in places whereby they had no description of what form of people they wanted to accept. So even in those places where I drank in, I did get comfort. And most importantly, I described my relationship with alcohol as of a best friend, because alcohol was entirely one of my best friends. I described the feeling as I merely describe the feeling as a liberation to me. It was a progress that was much more liberating. Like the last speaker has mentioned, I was also a withdrawn person when I did not consume alcohol. I remember prior me coming to AA, I couldn't even stand in front of people. I always had to consume something and then get the courage. So for me, alcohol was definitely liberating. And when I had to implement the progress of change, it was very difficult. I actually started drinking when I was in varsity during my first year. Most people will share their stories counting the years that they've drank alcohol until the symptoms of alcoholism would occur. For myself, the symptoms of alcoholism occurred in the moments of few months. I think I started drinking earlier in the year, but later that year I already was showing the signs of alcoholism. I also remember when before I, I also remember when I went to the institution and I had a meeting with my mom. My mother told me that it is not me that needs to it is not her that needs to change, but I myself must change first. But I did not know what she was talking about. But today, what she was telling me is evident, because when I started changing, everything around me also started to change. I also speak of from memories that I can barely not remember, but I can never forget the first day that I had alcohol. I still even today look back to those days, and I do even feel this feeling that I got when I consumed the substance. But then others' insanities are of remembrance of things that I was told, or maybe remember later in the year, or as later in the weeks, or even months. That's how insane I was. One moment that I will never forget that took away, or also showed me signs of my values and morals being taken away was when I was drinking at a bar in East London and eventually I passed out but when I woke up I was sleeping under the table I don't know how I got there but alcohol took me there, took me there. of course in my first year, in my first months of drinking everything was controllable I was controlling alcohol it was not controlling me. But it was said enough when I was told by my psychiatrist in rehab 
that I should consider my description of what an alcoholic was. Because for me, an alcoholic was really a person who never, who does not have anything of value. That man, that man in the gutter, with no house, with no education, with not even clean clothes to wear. But I remember her telling me that it's not about what you have. It's not about how many times you drink. It's not about what you do. It's not about who you drink with. But tell me what the alcohol has done to you. And I had to take a moment and think deep of what alcohol has taken away from me. For myself, it's actually, it saddens me when the things that were taken by alcohol are not the things that you can feel or touch. Some things you can just come back to recovery and go buy them again with money. You can buy your cars. You can buy anything that you have lost materialistically. But my values I had to rebuild. And before me rebuilding my values, I had to implement the progress of change. If there are any newcomers, I would like you to give me these five points. Go to meetings, find a sponsor, work your 12 steps, pray, do service. And after that, after, after doing your 12 steps, your higher power will surely be revealed if there will be honor of existence. I certainly also believe that I wouldn't have been here today or made it this far if it was not with the interaction I had with the God of my own understanding. Thank you very much. Good evening, friends. My name is Suren and I'm an alcoholic. I come from the kingdom of Zulu, KwaZulu-Natal. And I belong to the Sipingo group of Alcoholics Anonymous. My first drink, as I remember, was my two cousins, or shall I say two friends, where we decided to experiment what this drinking is all about, but it used to be, we used to be runner boys for uncles when they used to drink. And one day after school, we decided to go and have a beer. And uh, those days, they served the lime ale. And we, poured, uh, we ordered one pint of lime ale. And we ordered three glasses, and we split it, and we had a tot each. And I'll tell you what, we never enjoyed that, it never tasted. It tasted very bitter, and we said that we don't know how people can enjoy alcohol. Couldn't believe that. However, in my journey into the alcohol way of life started when I started school. Uh, sorry, when I started work, school was over by then. And after getting married and having had two children, and drinking excessively. My wife warned me many a times. She says, Serene, you are drinking too much. You must cut it down. And she said, I must change. I must change my drinking habits. So I decided to make my change. And earlier on, we had one of the speakers said, you can just stay as you are for the rest of your life, or you can change to AA. At that time, I was enjoying my mainstay because I enjoyed the advert. You can stay as you are, as you are for the rest of your life, or you can change to mainstay. And I loved my mainstay in those days, so I had to make a change. Then I decided to change from mainstay and go into the top shelf. Because mainstay was those days, I'm not too sure now, maybe seven or eight rands a bottle. And the top shelf was about 12 rands. So I was like, okay, that was a pretty expensive in my earnings I had in those days. But I said, we'll give it a try, we'll change. We'll change from mainstay, now we'll go to the top shelf. I can't remember some of the names. Oh yeah, it was Hague. So I should tell the guys, don't be vague, have a Hague. <laughs> so 
So I started having hay, whiskey top shelf. Bosh, never made a difference. The result was the same. No matter what I drank, the result was the same. Then I came to realize, when I made my first meeting in Esipingo, there was a rally there, and uh, somebody was speaking about uh, my, actually my cousin, uh, my nephew came down to visit, and I was having my drink on that Saturday, the 25th of July, and uh, this rally was taking place on the 26th of July, 1987. And uh, my nephew said, hey, you know what, uh, told my wife, you know what, uh, my father stopped drinking, that's my elder brother, and he has stopped drinking for three weeks. And she was quite thrilled about it, to hear more about it, because the three brothers of mine, the two of us and myself, the three of us, we used to polish three bottles at a time. And uh, she came very interested because of my drinking habits. And uh, somehow or the other, my nephew said, look, there's a lovely rally going there. And in the morning, when you go to the rally, they give you breakfast in the morning and they give you lovely sandwiches and things like that. And at lunchtime, they give you lovely mutton biryani. <laughs> so I thought uh, somehow or the other, my wife pulled and my brother pushed and we went to this first meeting. I thought I'll go there for the treat, but they gave me the treatment. <laughs> so I came to realize that more than a human power is needed to produce the essentials of my physic change. I didn't believe that coming to Alcoholics Anonymous and the outlook upon life will change. As I grew in Alcoholics Anonymous, the grief and anxiety started to wear away and my life began to change. I finally realized that I have to undergo a profound alteration in my attitude, which only I have to change myself alone and nobody could do it for me. I finally realized that by going through the term times of emotional disturbance, I can pause for a quiet moment and in the stillness mood say, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. In AA I was told about my wildest dreams. I understood my wildest dreams to be heavy, to catch the Natal Lotto in those days, it was a million, have a double story house, have a double garage, and in the double garage park a double cab, and next to that a Mercedes Benz. That was my wildest dreams. Regretfully, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, my wildest dreams changed. Unlike the days of blackouts, I used to make it up many morning mornings in that blackout state and unknown fear. I used to get up in the mornings not remembering what I did the night before. I used to get up in the mornings, wondered whether my car was parked next door next to my window there where I could just move the curtain and find the car there. At one morning when I got up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning in my drunken stage and in the unknown here, and I looked out there and my car wasn't parked there. And I wondered what happened. And then I looked in my pockets, I checked there, the wallet was there, phone was, no, I didn't have phone, no, there was no cell phone at that time. Eh? <laughs> <clears throat> my car keys were there, and what happened? Blackout. Just to cut a little story short, there were three hotels nearby, and I went to my car and parked my car at one hotel, jumped into the, another friend in another car, went to the next one, and then after that went to the next one, and after a good abuses, they left me home. So when I got up in the morning, my car wasn't there, it was parked at the first hotel, which wasn't far away. So it was blackout. Nevertheless, they say God is for the alcoholic. And uh, as I said, my wildest dream was to have this double story house, this million and things like that, all that changed today. Today my wildest dream 
in Alcoholics Anonymous, when I get up in the morning, I remembered what I did last night. And to me, that's my wildest dream. You can't get a wildest dream more better than that, than remembering what you did last night. I learned in the workshops, the 12 steps in the big book applied in my daily life will keep me happily sober and the desire to drink will leave me. I also learned in the workshops that the 12 steps of recovery in the big book has been written in the past for those of you who don't know. It's written in the past. It's not written that if you do this, this is what will happen. It's been tried and tested. I thought when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and when the guys reading the 12 steps, I said, oh, wow, I'm going to change that. Hey, I'm going to change that. Too late. You can't change it. It's already there. They state that what has already been done, it's then that's the only way we can stay sober. There's nothing we can do and doubt the 12 steps. The other suggestion was to get a sponsor to guide me. To get a sponsor who's already run, done the AA program. Why should I get a sponsor? I'm responsible, I'm educated, I can read, I can listen. The reason to get a sponsor is because he's already done the 12 steps. I didn't do the 12 steps. He's done it. The sponsor has done it and he'll guide me through. So I needed to get a sponsor. So when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, after a couple of meetings, I decided to get a sponsor and he showed me the, he showed me the way. Having gone through the 12 steps of, and practicing the 12 steps in all my affairs, that's when I realized that the promise started materializing. In the book, big book it states, we admitted we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable, and I unquote. There's no ifs and buts. There's no conditions. It is an acknowledgement of total surrender. I can't handle alcohol and that's it. When I drink it, alcohol wins. When I fight it, the drink wins. There's no win-win with alcohol. Step one was to acknowledge the acknowledgement of my condition. If I did not stop the drinking, then alcohol would have stopped me. So having expected, accepted step one, it was then I could continue with the rest of my 11 steps. And that's what I started doing. However, just in the second step, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore our sanity, stated to me, started to make sense to me. So having admitted that I am an alcoholic, I came to believe that the strength came from my weakness, and my weakness was my alcohol, alcoholic drinking. So having admitted that I'm an alcoholic, which was my weakness, and now it has become my strength, by just admitting that I am an alcoholic, my life was unmanageable, I thought. Some things I couldn't understand. Because how can my life be unmanageable when, whilst I was practicing or drinking alcohol, I never lost a job, I didn't lose my car, I still have a house and I had my family, I still had a bank account, and some of those things didn't happen to me. So I asked my sponsor, I said, look, how could have been my life unmanageable? It doesn't make sense. My sponsor told me, well, that's why you are here. It is because we will show you what alcohol didn't do to you. 
Uh, that was something I had to give it a big thought of. He said, remember the word yet. Give it more time, more money, more booze, worse things can happen. Today, I'm a very happy and active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous broken, beaten, my life unmanageable, and the obsession was killing me. In Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been freed from that obsession, and alcohol, and the compulsion to drink, and my life had changed completely. In the past, I was a person without power or direction for living. My life didn't make any sense to me and to anyone else in the family. Today, I'm not merely sober, but I'm a person with sense of direction and practice. By practicing the 12 steps, I now understand how my alcoholic drinking warped my life and behavior and affected my wife and my children. My gratitude goes to the founders and the long-timers for keeping these doors of Alcoholics Anonymous open. I'm grateful that now I'm in reality and living one day at a time. I also learned from your wonderful people in AA that being generous does not mean handing over money. It means that giving your time, your love, and your attention, and your service, it also means welcoming the newcomer, ensuring him that he's in the right place. And that's what the old-timers did for me. They assured me that I was in the right place. We must also make him feel comfortable. When a newcomer comes in, we must make him comfortable. They did that to me. Tell him that AA is, how AA has played an important part in your life. The long-timers did that to me when I made my very first meeting. I further learned that when I am here and asked to share or to stick to AA-related matters, we must do that. We must not talk about other unrelated matters or any unalcoholic stories. We must just show in a, share in a general way. I want to take this opportunity of thanking Richard. Dear Richard, thank you and the, uh, com the uh, convention committee for asking me to come and share here. And I want to take this opportunity to thank the convention committee for giving me this opportunity to share at a convention. You know, we're speaking of wildest dreams. When I came in Alcoholics Anonymous and I changed my wildest dreams, then I built up some more wildest dreams. And uh, one of my other wildest dreams was to share at a convention. And after 31 years, this PE convention gave me that opportunity, and I'm standing here in front of you guys. My, my orange light is on, the red light is not. I got enough time. <laughs> I got six more pages to go. <laughs> I want to thank you for listening. God bless you all. I love you all unconditionally. And until we meet again, have a nice convention. Good morning, everybody. I'm Suki, and I'm a grateful member of the Alanon family group. Uh, I just want to take this opportunity to thank the convention committee that gave me a chance to this morning to tell my story of experience, strength, and hope. You know, it all started as a fairy tale. I'm sure all of us have read the fairy tale books when we were small. Once, there, once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess who met a Prince Charming. They fell in love, got married, but the happily ever after came years after being married. <laughs> Friends, when I met my husband, he was drinking. 
you know uh, those uh, early years already the warning signs were there but you know being in love you tend to ignore it and I said to myself you know I love him we, I'm gonna get married to him I will change him because with marriage comes responsibility and maybe the word responsibility will make him realize that he had to change himself and stop drinking. What a rude awakening. You know, as the, his, his drinking progressed, I became insane. I was full of hatred toward this man. I was blaming myself. I was blaming the God of my understanding. I grew up uh, in a family of churchgoers, a family that knew God, you know, because we, from an early age, I chose to call my higher power God. It never changed. Then, uh, you know, I had a dear mother-in-law. I heard the gentleman saying now that he's Catholic. I was not Catholic when I got married. I later changed, and I went over to his uh, church and his faith. And my mother-in-law was a staunch Catholic. Whenever I went to her to complain about the son, she said to me, don't worry, I'm praying for him. You know, and later on I said to myself, thinking to myself, you're always saying you're praying for him. I wonder if you're praying for me because I'm sitting with your drunk son. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the hatred grew, the hatred grew, and many times I wish this man did. You know, when he got into the car, when he was drunk, you know, I was saying, Yo, God, I'm sure today you're going to kill him, and I'll be living happily ever after. But you know, uh, sitting at home, and now the time goes, oh, he's not at, not at home yet. When you hear a car in the street, or you hear the neighbor's garage door open, you go to the window and you peep, you know, and you say to yourself, he's home now. And then you say, thank you, God. You were just wishing him dead, but now you're thanking God, you know, for bringing him safe home. Anyhow, we came in, uh, I reached my rock bottom in 1992. And I just decided enough is enough, and I walked out. I left him at home, I went to my mother. But I don't know why our mothers love an alcoholic so dearly. You know, I used to listen to my mom and dad, and they said to me, no, it's your husband, he's a good man, you must go home. And you know, one day I said to my mother, Ma, we just know you can't of Peter. <laughs> you know, and uh, I remember it was my youngest daughter's third birthday, the Sunday, and my father went there, and my father fetched him to come to the party. You know, uh, I greeted him, but, you know, it was just like looking at him like that. If he passed me in the passage, you know, I just thought I could do this. And, you know, and anyhow, that night I went home. I was uh, cleaning the dishes, and he took a cloth, and he was drunk, and he said to me, uh, you know what, I phoned Alcoholics Anonymous, and on Monday night I'm going to start my first meeting. I just did not answer him. But I thought to myself, it's still to be seen. Because so many broken promises, so many hurtful things, how can I still believe you? Anyhow, we joined up uh, with AA, 
And I, at first I went to AA meetings to, to support him. And uh, you to me, it was nice to listen to all the stories of the alcoholics. Yeah, it was nice. And I remember there was this dear old long time at the Galvandale group, the late Uncle Tommy. And the one night I went to meeting with him and I, Uncle Tommy, what Uncle Tommy took me by the hand, he said to me, my lady, I think you must come with me. And Uncle Tommy took me to the Eleanor uh, room. When I walked in there, Auntie Peggy was there, Daphne, and the late Auntie Winnie. And now, you know, I just looked at him like that. I said, yo, is this what I'm coming to now? These ladies were already, you know, senior ladies that time, with all due respect. And I thought, are they going to be my company now? I'm still young. This alcoholic ruined my life, took the best years out of my life. And look what I'm introduced to now. Uh, and you know what, Auntie? Uh, uh, we had at the Galvandale group, we had a, a, a picture of a lady whose mouth was covered with gauze. And Auntie Peggy said to me, uh, you won't have to stay here forever. It's up to you. But tonight I want you to just sit there, listen with an open mind and keep quiet. You know, that's the way the newcomers were handled those years. You've got to come and sit there and listen with an open mind. And today I want to thank Ellen Non for accepting me. You know the tools I got in Ellen Non. The first thing they told me, remember, you did not cause the alcoholism. You did, you can't cure it and you can't control the alcoholic. He said, no, I was the law. Maybe I'm still the law, I don't know. Only you will know. But you, uh, you know, the love we got between those four rooms. I was told, yeah, you can open your heart, you can talk, because whatever is said here, it will stay here. No Eleanor member will go out of here and go say, you know, I met this lady last week. She entered the rooms of Eleanor. She was so in despair, so full of hatred. None of that. Eleanor people really love one another. You know, uh, my high, I, I uh, already knew my higher power. And with Eleanor this side and AA this side, I thought, you know, life can just go better for me. But you know, life's got uh, a way of throwing sad things back to you. Uh, I'm a mother of two daughters, eldest one will be 34 next month, and my youngest daughter is 29. Uh, my, uh, the, the, the children, you know, I used to protect my children. Whenever I knew he's going to be drunk, I used to take my kids to my mother beforehand because I never wanted them to see their father drunk. I remember uh, the one day he was so drunk and uh, came in, I ignored him, and then he started with his things, blaming me, blaming me for his drinking, because you don't want to go out with me and my friends. That's all the things, uh, nasty words were said to me. And uh, I thought to myself, God, if you did not listen to me, I ask you to kill this man. <laughs> Let him die, remove him from my life. God, why? Didn't you listen to me? I shouted that night. 
And I said to myself, well, God, seeing that you failed me in removing him, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> you know, and I said, uh, in your profession, you know what to do. You know you can take things killing when nobody will even know what he died from. <laughs> That's how insane this alcoholic made me. To come back to my daughter, uh, at the age of 19, being a first-year student here at varsity, she fell pregnant. She went to my husband to tell him. I remember I was still at work that day. He phoned me. He said, uh, Lisa wrote me a letter now saying that uh, she's pregnant. I was devastated. Still, you know, when that happened, I blamed my higher power. Again, I was saying, God, how could you fail me? Because now there's sobriety in the house, I found Eleanor. How could you do that to me? Lo and behold, uh, she's married today to the daughter, the girl's father. She's a mother of, this girl will be 10 in August, and she's a mother of uh, twin daughters, age three. And uh, during all this, you know, last year, she completed a B.Ed. And that's just through uh, Eleanor and AA, the support we could give her. My eldest daughter uh, was uh, also got married after that. And again, you know, I was uh, brought down to size. Because when her boy was 18 months old, she got divorced. And again, I had to go on my knees and pray to my higher power like never before. To say, God, you've got to make us strong now. Because this man could easily go back to drink again. And for that again, I can thank Eleanor and AA today. Uh, like my eldest one, she got married last year in December again. At this stage, she's still very, very happy. And I thank God for that. What I can say is what Eleanor taught me, and especially, you know, the 12 step, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we can practice these principles in all our affairs. And that is exactly what I did. Whatever I believe in, I can pray for uh, a greater faith today. Just that little act of willingness can work miracles. And that's from the Courage to Change, page 211. Then the Odette, one day at a time, page 144, tells us, I will not attempt to manage what is clearly beyond my powers. I will dedicate myself to managing my own life and grow in this fellowship. You know, uh, I believe that the spiritual awakening can set, us can set us free to see things clearer in a more spiritual light. In conclusion, I want to just read you something which I found amongst the Eleanor literature. It's called Nobody. If nobody smiled and nobody cared and nobody helped us along, if every moment looked at itself and good things always went to the strong, if nobody cared just a little about you and nobody cared about me and we stood alone in the battle of life, what a dreary old world this would be. Life is sweet just because of friends we have made and the things which in common we share. 
We want to live on, not because of ourselves, but because of the people who care. It is doing and giving for somebody else on which all of life's splendor depends. The joy of this world, when you've summed it all up, is found in the making of friends. God bless you, and I love you all. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.